Hello, my name is Ashley Lambert, and this is Very Sleepy, a podcast to help you fall asleep. So, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and settle in. And get ready for tonight's story, The Five Brothers, from the book Icelandic Fairy Tales, written by Mrs. Angus W. Hall. Iceland, a place I've always wanted to visit. A land of fire and ice has long captivated the imagination of not just myself, but many, with its enchanting landscapes and glistening glaciers. It's a mysterious island, situated in the North Atlantic Ocean, but it also has given birth to a rich tapestry of folklore, mythology, and fairy tales that have been passed down through the generations. The lore and stories reflect the country's unique culture and history, revealing a fascinating blend of influences from Nordic and Celtic traditions. Woven into these tales are stories of giants, including tonight's, and they hold a significant place as supernatural beings that represent both the power and unpredictability of the natural world. There are all different types of giants in Icelandic lore, some benevolent, some malevolent. There are stories of giantesses in Icelandic folklore who are often portrayed as cunning figures. Some of them possess magical powers and may involve themselves in human affairs sometimes helping or hindering the protagonists in their journeys. Tonight's story, The Five Brothers, involves a giant and a giantess. Let's find out if they help or hinder our heroes in their journeys. So get ready for tonight's story, the Five Brothers, and I hope it makes you very, very sleepy. Once upon a time, long years ago, when giants still lived upon the earth, there dwelt an old man and his wife in a small wooden hut sheltered from the rough winter winds by the tall mountains and rocks that surrounded it. The world would have said they were very poor, but they thought themselves rich, for they had five healthy boys who were the delight of their eyes. There was only a year's difference in age between the lads, and they were always together. One day, the old couple went to cut grass on a slope some distance off, leaving the boys alone at home. It was a bright, warm morning, and tired of playing indoors, the children went out into the little garden, and soon their merry shouts were heard echoing from the hills. Presently, up the path towards them came an old woman, feeble and lame, 
May an old woman beg for some water, she said in a weak voice. Stopping their games at once, the eldest boy ran to the well, while the others made her sit down by the door and rest. In a moment, he was back with a pitcher of cool, sparkling water. There, Granny, he said, that will refresh you. I let the bucket run down ever so far to make the water nice and cold. The old dame thanked him heartily and, having quenched her thirst, asked what their names were. The boys laughed merrily. We have no names, they said. We are all so near in age that we do everything together, and when father or mother want anything, they just call out, Boys! And there we are, always at hand. You have kind hearts, the old woman said. You are good to the aged and feeble. I was nearly dying of thirst and could not have gone further without your help. Would that I could reward you as I should like. Alas, I have not the power, but one thing I can do for you. You shall no longer be nameless. I am going to bestow a name on each. You, my young cupbearer, turning to the eldest boy, shall be called Watchwell. Your brothers, Holdwell, Hitwell, Spywell, and Climbwell. May these names in the future bring you good fortune as a reward for your kindness to a poor old woman. Then she bade them goodbye, reminded them once more of their names, told them to act up to them, and turned away down the path. In the evening when their parents returned, the boys related what had occurred and repeated the strange names they had been given. Their parents were much astonished and asked where the stranger had come from and all particulars about her but the boys could only tell what had happened, and the whole thing would soon have been forgotten had it not been for the names. These names, they did not forget, and strange to say, the more they were used, the more the owner of each name seemed to develop a special quality that his name denoted. Watchwell, in addition, constituting himself the general guardian of the five. Was there a burden to carry, Holdwell's strong arms were ready. Did the parents require wood for the winter? Hitwell would cut a pile up in the dark pine woods on the mountains that gladdened their hearts. Not a rabbit or bird could escape the keen eyes of Spywell. And by constant practice, little Climbwell could scale the steepest cliffs along the fjords. Years rolled on. The bright boys had grown up into tall, handsome young men, and all this time they had never crossed the high rocky hills that walled in their valley, never seen the great world that lay outside. But now that they were men, a great wish was rising in their hearts to go forth from the old home and play their part 
among other men. Their parents gave them their blessing and bade them continue to stand by one another as they had ever done, for if they only did that, there was nothing they could not achieve. And so the young men departed, following the steep track over the high mountains at first and then gradually leaving the hill country behind them as they went ever onwards. Sometimes they rested at a farmhouse, sometimes in a village, but nowhere did they find any permanent work. Many a farmer would have gladly engaged Watchwell and Spywell to guard his flocks, but he had no employment for Holdwell and Climbwell, and when the two last could have joined the village lads in fishing or hunting, there was again no post for the other three. Still, they would not be discouraged. They had stout hearts and strong limbs, and the good fortune they sought must be found elsewhere. So they went on, climbing high mountains and fording swift rivers, till at last they entered the interminable dark pine wood with a tangled undergrowth of brambles and tall ferns. Hitwell cleared a path for them, and at length they emerged on a vast plain. The sun was setting and pouring a flood of crimson gold and purple over the scene before them. The rays lit up the tall spires and high gray walls of a large city and turned the broad flowing river that encircled it into molten gold. The brothers stood entranced. It must be the city of the king, cried Watchwell. Yes, said Spywell. Look, there's the royal flag flying on the tower of the palace. They soon traversed the plain, and as darkness began to fall, they arrived at the great drawbridge over the river and were directed to the palace by the warder. The king received them and listened to their request for employment in his service. The brothers were such fine, handsome fellows that he was much taken with them as they stood before him. They were very tall and had bright blue eyes and fair curling hair. He told them that he could give employment to all five if they would remain throughout the winter at his court and watch and guard his daughters at the coming Christmas Eve. Do not, however, pledge yourselves to stay until you learn the nature of the task that lies before you, he said. For I have made a vow that the life of the next man who fails in this duty shall be forfeited. Perhaps you five brothers acting together can be more careful than strangers. Now listen, two years ago, he went on, I had five fair daughters, but alas, the year before last, my golden hair, Elma, disappeared mysteriously in the dead of night. Search was made in all directions. No trace of her could be found. 
The year last, the princess's apartments were carefully watched and guarded. No strangers were admitted. Only old and faithful servants were near them. But when morning came, Irene, my second daughter, was nowhere to be found, nor was there any sign of her captor's footsteps near the window of her room where she slept. I have now made a vow, and I shall keep it, but I also offer a reward. He who defends them faithfully this year shall wed the next eldest princess who would without their care have disappeared, and he shall be to me as a son. It will be death or honor. Choose, young men, now, while you are still quite free. We will stay and guard the princesses, they cried with one voice. It is a task that will call all our qualities into full play. No robber can escape the eyes of Spywell. Holdwell will act up to his name till Climwell and Hitwell reach him, and I and Watchwell drew himself up proudly. I will be the one to forfeit my life if we fail. So they remained at the court and became great favorites with the king, who began to feel almost sorry that he had imposed sentence of death on the man who should fail to defend his daughters. He therefore determined to do what he could to make them safe and caused a great tower to be built onto the palace with thick walls and windows very high up. And here the princesses were to sleep on Christmas Eve. And now the time drew near. As usual, great festivities were held for several days. On the last night, when the dancing and merrymaking were all over, the three princesses, Frida, Ida, and Maya, were led to the tower by the king, attended by their ladies. As they lay down on the big couch covered with silken embroideries, he bade them a last good night and charged the five brothers to guard them with their lives. Then the king left the tower, double-locking the great iron door that led into the rest of the castle. All was still. The brothers lay down on a rough bench in the antechamber, but the door of the princess's room was wide open, and a lamp was kept burning there. It had been a long and tiring day, and the younger brothers were soon fast asleep. But Watchwell never closed an eye. Wrapped in his long cloak, he leant against the wall and watched. The night drew on, but what was that? He thought he saw a dark shadow slowly approach the window of the princess's room. As he looked, a monstrous hand opened the lattice and stretched out gropingly toward the couch on which the king's daughters lay asleep. Watchwell touched his brothers. In an instant, Holdwell had grasped the mysterious hand so tightly that the owner could not move it. And Hitwell, with one blow of his sword, 
severed it from the wrist. A terrible, wild cry of pain and baffled anger filled the air, and looking forth, the brothers saw a fearful giant striding rapidly away from the palace and shaking his remaining hand threateningly towards the tower. The noise had aroused the king who was quickly on the spot, while Watchwell and his brothers hurried after the monster. Faster and faster he went, seeing he was pursued. But though he was speedily out of sight, Spywell's keen eye traced his footsteps all the way. On and on and on they went, till at last they came to the foot of a high mountain. Steep and precipitous, before them the sides rose up, no foothold to be seen anywhere. Climwell, however, never hesitated. He showed his brothers a strong silken cord that he always carried with him, then, making a bold spring to a tiny ledge he had noticed, he commenced to climb, never taking a false step till he had reached the summit in safety. Then, lowering the silken rope, he drew up his brothers, one after the other. When they reached the top, they found an enormous cavern, and just inside the entrance sat a huge giantess on a low stool, crying bitterly. The brothers asked what ailed her. What matters it to you, she said, and cried more than ever. But at last, she told them that the previous night, her husband had lost one of his hands, and she feared he would die. He was in such terrible pain. Then they told her that they could heal her husband if she would let them in. But no one, they said, must be there but ourselves. We must find all others, lest they should find out the secret of our healing power. The giantess, who was quite as wicked as her husband, and had hoped to entice these young men by her pretended grief into the cavern so as to provide a dinner for herself and her husband, did not at all like the suggestion of being bound. But she thought, perhaps, they might be able to heal her husband first. So she submitted for the moment, comforting herself with the hope that she could easily break the rope and set herself free when the young men had cured her husband. Holdwell bound her with Climwell's strong silken rope, and then they passed into the inner cavern. The giant was lying on his couch and gave a howl of rage when he saw them. But crippled by the loss of his hand, he was no match for the young men, who speedily put an end to him. Then they killed the wicked giantess, who had quite a heap of human bones beside her, and proceeded to explore the inner cavern. They thought it might, perhaps, contain some hidden treasure, but nothing was to be found. And they were on the point of leaving when Spywell decried a small door, cunningly let into the rock. Speedily breaking it open, a subterranean passage was seen, 
leading to another cavern. And there, they discovered the two lost princesses. Elma, very pale and emaciated, whilst Irene, who had not been imprisoned so long, was more rosy and not so thin. The giant had evidently intended securing all five princesses before eating them. The king's daughters were greatly overjoyed when they saw their noble deliverers and heard that they were prisoners no longer. They quickly departed, Spywell and Climwell, having discovered an easier road for them to return by. They arrived at the palace as night was falling, and the joy of the king at having his five daughters united once more, well, can be imagined. A great banquet was hastily prepared, and before the assembled nobles and guests, he related the brave deeds of Watchwell and his brothers, and announced that he had decided to wed his five daughters to the five heroes. It is but right and fitting that men such as these, brave, noble, and true, should reign over this land when I am gone. And to whom could I more worthily entrust my dear daughters than to those who have saved their lives? Never was there so magnificent a wedding feast. It lasted a whole month and the dresses of the five princesses were perfect marvels of gold and silver embroidery and precious stones. Then to each brother was appointed a position in the state, which would call his special quality into play. They lived long and happily with their respective wives, greatly beloved and honored by all. And when at length the old king died, Watchwell succeeded to the throne, and his wise and good reign, together with his beautiful and beloved Queen Elma, is still spoken of to this very day. The End I hope you enjoyed tonight's story, The Five Brothers. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for all the downloads, the shares, the likes, and the comments. I really appreciate you. And it does help support the show. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you'll join us again. I'm Ashley Lambert. And this is Very Sleepy. Until next time, good night.